0: Welcome to the RSP cast. Quick game with Mark Schofield, Matt Waldman. I think I'm Matt Waldman. I just woke up literally five minutes ago. It's approximately <laughs> 1 p.m. Eastern time. I've been, I've been already <laughs> working nights for the past month, I think.
1: So. It's always great when I go to bed and I check Twitter one last time and you're still out there doing video breakdowns. And I'm just like, I don't know how he does it. I'm exhausted. That's I'm bleary eyed.
0: I'm. That's because I. That's because I. I'm just sleep pretty much. You know, all morning. You sleep
1: in the winter. Yeah, pretty. You're much. You're a bear. You hibernate. You I, sleep in the winter.
0: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, that or that or maybe my wife somehow she sleeps for me. That might be what it. <laughs> what it is. I, I, I don't know. I I laugh because it's a. Uh, she sleeps pretty darn well because I get to, and. I get to practice, and I'm not exactly quiet. Well, I'm quiet on the bass, but when I practice the saxophone, I'm not exactly mm-hmm. quiet. And my neighbors, like, six months ago, I've been practicing for about a year, you know, over a year, and my neighbors are like, oh, he he pra- he plays an instrument? And I'm just like, I'm literally playing, like, pretty darn loud into the right. wall heading out to their neighborhood, and they've got, like, five boys, and I'm thinking... I was wait, kind of slowly testing. Now I can play to like four in the morning if I wanted to. So there you go. So I I was all worried about getting a basement and soundproofing. I'm like may not even need it's to do that now. So, that. so there we go. That or I might just need to get an amplifier and effects to see if Crack I cracked that up to eleven and see if I can wake up the entire it's neighborhood and then get and then have the police come. But yeah. I don't think we're gonna do that. So speaking of uh, speaking of the good stuff, let's just start off with. That game on Sunday night yep. the the Ravens turnaround. I mean, it was an awesome display after watching them just get worked over on offense, you know, against the Las Vegas Raiders, and then they turn head into the, you know, and deal with Kansas City. What were two things that you noticed about the game that stood out the most that bode well for Baltimore? And is there still anything left about that Vegas game that concerns you um, That when you were heading into the Chiefs game now after you've seen it?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think two things that bode well. One, this was the Lamar statement game in a sense. You know, you had two... 11 point deficits that they made up to win that game. And for, for many, that was the thing, right? Like, yeah, the Baltimore Ravens are great when it's a positive game script or they're down by three and they can still sort of do what they want to do. But when Lamar and company get down by 11, it's over. When they get down by two scores, it's over. They get down by two scores twice. They still won that game. And they, they kind of did what they wanted to do on offense still. They sort of stuck to that. They didn't, like, force things. Odafe Owe made an early statement case for rookie defensive rookie of the year with that forced fumble of Clyde Edwards-Alaire. I thought that was fantastic. The love and trust that John Harbaugh has for his team and for his quarterback. Like, look, I, I'm a Patriots guy. The Ravens are, I don't want to say mortal enemies, but I also live in this area, number one, and I appreciate wanting to play for a coach. And when John Harbaugh, before that fourth down, just comes out and says, Lamar, you want to go for this? All right, let's go. Tell me that locker room doesn't want to play for him. And then you see that locker room after the game where it's Harbaugh said, I've got everybody from reserves, defensive linemen, our defensive line coach say, we got to go for it. All right, I'm going to go for it. Tell me that team doesn't want to play for that guy. So, I mean, those things extremely bold. well. Also, I will say, just as a quick aside, the Omar whistle pregame as a tribute to Michael K. Williams, who played Omar in The Wire, the incredible HBO show, set in Baltimore. Man, I got goosebumps. I got goosebumps right now just thinking about that. I saw a lot of Ravens fans that I follow the week leading up to that game saying that they should do that, and they did. I thought that was fantastic. One thing that concerns me, Villadoeva slides to left tackle and looked great. Like he looked really good. What happens when Ronnie Staley comes back? Like, like that's one thing that I think I because Villa Deweva, all offensive line Twitter will tell you, it's hard. It is hard to say play left tackle and then go play right tackle. And we saw that in week one where Max Crosby just Obliterated Villanova on the right side. What happens when Staley comes back? Do they move Villanova back? Will that issue prop up again? Will Villanova be able to play right tackle well enough for this team to do the things they want to do? That's going to be a concern for me going forward. But those are the things, man. I just love to see from Baltimore Sunday night. Yeah. Well,
0: who's there? I forget, but who's their left guard?
1: Um. Let's look yeah, at that. Yeah.
0: Let's look at that cause that's because that
1: cool. because. You know, they, they obviously lost Ben Cleveland, uh, the rookie, Well, out of Georgia. Yeah, well then. And he's a, he was a good player coming out of Georgia, but this is a complex run game. Yeah. You know, and I think it was Ted Wynn who had a clip from week one when they were trying to run one of their counter bash designs where you have both the guard and the tackle pulling, quarterback can read it left guard, left tackle, they pull to the right side. Right guard, right tackle, they pull to the left side and you have this collision of bodies and four of your five offensive linemen are running into each other. And now two somebody got that wrong because you're not all pulling, only two of them are supposed to. So it's a complex run game and it's a lot for a rookie to figure out. And you had somebody, you know, Kevin Zeitler, who's now with the Giants. I, I believe he's with the Giants now. And then get hurt. I forget what he is now, but he was a part of their left guard spot, offensive line, the left guard spot. That's a big role. Yeah,
0: I could see. I could see them maybe considering that idea, rather just keeping them on the same side. And if they feel like he can move well enough, and I, th- I imagine they think that he could, if they're even going to use him, you know, in this offense, um, because of the fact of what all they do. Um, I'm, I'm an idiot.
1: They zeitler is so their right the guard team, yeah zeitler is their right who's the guy that they lost that i'm thinking of um well i mean
0: there was there was yonda there was humphrey there was um, they had another
1: um, offensive lineman. The, that they, the, the
0: the son of um he was he was a son of a not ogden's son um
1: orlando brown orlando brown well he the, they traded him to the yeah. chiefs who yeah they played,
0: yeah But anyway, I mean, I I just think, you know, Villanueva's move to left tackle was just a smart move all in all that they just basically, you know, that was an opportunity for them, unfortunately, with, you know, it's kind of the door closes with Ronnie Stanley, you know, the window opens for Villanueva. Um, But the line itself just played a lot better because it wasn't just Villanueva. Last week there were multiple points of penetration against the the Raiders that they on just about every play. It was like a leaky sieve, you know. I mean, so it was like a sieve, it was just leaky everywhere. And then you look at it on Sunday night and they were crisp. They were able to they were getting pushes, they were and on top of that, they were using the the read game that they weren't using in volume against the Raiders. And that really has to do with Lamar Jackson and the running backs. Because when you're the the back that Lamar Jackson's most familiar with was a third string back for most of camp who didn't get the yep. reps with him. None of them understood. None of them had the rapport with Jackson in that read game. And that read game is what generated, as we talked about last week, is what generated all those those eight to 12-yard gains where Lamar Jackson is untouched unless he wants to initiate contact with somebody. And when you right. can get six to eight rushes, I mean, I don't even know if it's that many, but six to eight rushes a game like that, you're in positive game scripts. The You know, your, your playbook, you can use the full playbook. And on top of that, um, defenses are not left guessing. And as one of my Cleveland Browns followers said, This is high school stuff. They should be flooding this area and do you know? And this should be easy to defend. And then I'm like, well, I mean, the the pro, the high school game trickles to the pros, you know. And that's kind of how it works. It's kind of the opposite sometimes, or it's a, it's kind of a circle. And you know, when you have high end players and you get burned before with, you know, players pulling to the left side, but now, now what you have left on the right is a fullback. A tight end split out to one side and um, and a running back, and you're basically a three-on-three three against maybe an outside linebacker and a cornerback, you have the advantage there. And that's what we saw with a Devonta Freeman run. It was the only run of the night for him. He had, what, 33 yards or something like that on that one run. And when you get burned on something like that, you have to freeze and hold, hold on to that even though the fact that Lamar Jackson is running behind two pulling offensive linemen to the opposite side the next time they do it. And so for me, the read game was really notable. And the fact that they were able to fix that so quickly with the rapport with their backs, that they could do it with any of the three backs that they had on the field. To me, that's a sign that they're going to be just fine. Um, for most of the season as long as that line can stay as healthy as it is about right now yeah. um, because that helped Lamar Jackson be able to do everything else if they can't do that then it's like taking away the engine in a sports car and you and put it in a lawnmower and that's basically right. what was going on on in Las Vegas so that was the most notable thing for me but I did enjoy seeing Um, the use of John, uh, Marquise Brown, I felt like that they were able to, you know, do some good things with Marquise Brown. In addition to the fact that he got free in the middle of a defense right, you know, and, and Jackson made that, that stunning play with the jump pass. Um, but seeing that was, was really good seeing Justin Matabuike show up was yeah. was really nice too because this is a guy out of Texas A&M who I really liked. He's undersized, but he was a savvy he was kind of like the way that DeAndre Hopkins is a big slow ish receiver with a ton of savvy who's going to play for the next 17 years. You know, you know, joke half joking there, but because he can do things that he's just very intelligent out on the field, and can and can do things that get him open against anybody. Matt Abuque in college was that guy, and in, in college where he's undersized, but he's extremely exceedingly quick for a DT, and yep. he could handle double teams. He knew how to get to the right place. He was very good pre snap, and you saw a little bit of that. Um, you know, last week though, as I think Coach Vass pointed out, um, and Brandon Thorn thought, figured, you know, said, is that a three technique? You know, uh, having a center try and back you know, block back on block a three technique, three yeah, technique is impossible. And I, as soon as as soon as I saw that, I laughed because I saw I knew what they were talking about right. There. Yeah. So, but yeah, so the Ravens to me, they're back that, and it just shows their toughness. This is a as as Eric Stoner and I talked about privately or you know and I, I like to share some of his stuff it was just like yeah I mean they're a fighting team they are they are fighters they have the mentality of their coach you know or the coaches adopted the mentality of the players heading It yeah. depends they just have that culture and they don't give up I mean I love the Baltimore Ravens I'm a I'm I'm I've become pretty much an unabashed fan even though the Browns are my are still my team and right there's they're, they're seeming to They've seemed to take an antidote to raise themselves from being out of the zombie status, so that's good. But the the Ravens are still the team that I grew up. They're still the team in spirit of what I grew up with, and to watch right. them do, watch them do that is fantastic. So, are the Chiefs still a powerhouse, Mark? I mean, I, they they certainly look like it on the surface, but that also when you watch their games, are they operating in the strength of just a handful of key players who? You know, Kelsey and and Tyreek and 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 Tyron Matthew and you know and, and and maybe Bolton now and Chris Jones are with Mahomes. Are those I, are the guys pulling them out of the out of the emergencies that they get themselves into?
1: I think in a sense and obviously look, it's week two, things can change, yeah. teams' identities grow over the course of a season. But I think right now they are more that team that's relying on the parts not the sum of the parts but it helps when Patrick Mahomes might be the best quarterback in the game you know Travis Kelsey might be the best tight end of the game Tyree Kill might be the most explosive wide receiver in the game Chris Jones might be one of the best interior defenders in the game we although they're this, this experiment of moving them to defensive end you know, there's mixed results there. Tyron Matthew might be at times the best safety and the best slot defender in the game. Like so, the the parts that they're relying on these individual performances and players they're relying on, are like the best at what they do. So even if it's just that, that could still make them almost a powerhouse on its own. And so. I'm 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 hesitant to say that. Look, you know, if one of those guys goes down or if one of those guys struggles, they're going to fall apart. I don't think it's like that. I think there's still time. I think that offensive line with basically five new faces—they're learning to gel together. That will take some time. The defense has learned to sort of gel. You know, that will take some time. Chris Jones and this experiment at defensive end, maybe they start sliding them inside more. So that might take some time. They're still figuring it out. But I think right now, that's what they are. They're a team that's relying on some of the best at their position to get them through.
0: I think that's the best answer one could give. And it comes from someone who understands from covering the Patriots um, when people are like, well, they're no longer the same team. There's a chink in the armor. They're, you know, they're over with. And people are already, you know, basically wanting to move on from the next thing you know. They're the one seed or the two seed. And yep. and they head into the Super Bowl. Yep. Mark has seen it over and over again. And, and, I, and I
1: agree. smart coaches, and Andy Reid is one of those, they use the first couple of weeks as an extended preseason, right? And, and a good example of that from the Patriots everybody going into their game this week against the New York Jets was how are they going to handle Corey Davis? Is it going to be JC Jackson over him? Is it going to be like Belichick sometimes do does, where he takes the second cornerback in this case, you know, Jalen Mills puts safety help over him. Are they going to do something different? What did they do? They tried different guys. On one snap, it was Corey Davis. On one snap, it was Jawan Williams. On one snap, it was Jalen Mills. On one snap, it was Jonathan Jones. They use this period of time to figure out what they can and can't do. And then, Calendar flips to October. you figured it out. Now you set yourself up for that stretch run. Kansas City is going through something similar. They're figuring out the stuff they can do on offense. They're moving pieces around on defense like the Chris Jones thing. I'm not worried about Kansas City or anything like that. I think they're going to get to where they want to be. It's just 17-0 and and all those dreams. You know, it's hard to win in the NFL.
0: (laughs) Yeah, without a doubt. Without a doubt. So probably one of the more – surprising developments thus far and it's only two weeks in but it's Cordero Patterson the the player that basically when you saw him at Tennessee as a wide receiver you know big physical can go up and win the ball has the speed to stretch you vertically probably one of the best open field runners at any position I have ever seen or scouted he might be the top open field runner I have ever scouted um, before say Saquon Barkley, um, you, you know, I mean that would include Reggie Bush. He was that good. Goes to Minnesota, and they used him as a gadget player in that offense in the first year, and he showed some really big playability out of the backfield. Also, as kind of a gadget guy, split outside. Um, and then North Turner comes in, and North Turner's like, you're gonna have to learn to be a primary wide receiver with all the different options and the different things that he could do. And one of the things that I heard, I remember Russ Landy telling yep. me before the draft, you know, Patterson is known as a guy who's has a difficult time translating a full game plan onto the field. He's a reps guy, which basically means that you have to give him a ton of practice reps for the game plan that you want him to use, and you're likely to have a limited game plan with him because... You know, it's not saying that he's a dumb guy. And I know that's the easy way to say it, but it's it's a more nuanced way of saying it and the more accurate way of saying it is that there are some plenty of intelligent people in life who just can't translate the abstract of what the football game plan wants you to be with what you got to do on the field quickly, you know, and that they can't do it quickly. And it's like it takes too much practice with all the different things that they do from that from that standpoint. So Patterson's always had that difficulty. He's bounced around, he's flashed everywhere he's been on specific plays. And then Bill Pelichek basically tells him, I'm gonna make you the guy you should be. Yep. You know, when you come to New England. And a year later he's with the Chicago Bears. Um so here we are in Atlanta two weeks in and Cordero Patterson suddenly looks like one of the better scat back options that you could pick up in your leagues in fantasy. Um, I'm just going to lead off with this one. Um, I think he can be a thing, Mark. I think that he's I, from from what I've seen. You know, the he's not going to replace Mike Davis if Mike Davis gets hurt. They're going to bring in Wayne Gallman. Wayne Gallman would be the guy, and they bring in another back maybe in case Gallman gets hurt because I don't think you want Cordero Patterson running between the tackles for you on a regular basis. That's not what he did well. Um, but give him toss which simulates a punt return in a sense because if it's run right, you get the creases early developing uh, you know to one side, you have to give him a lead, you know, blocker if you use it out of the eye with a fullback and he gets a running start Towards those creases that simulate a punt return as much as possible as any run that you'd see other than a draw play. Um, so he does. He did really well on toss. They did some misdirection for him on the outside where they threw him back and got him an open space. And what was impressive to me was when they used him as a outlet option and you know using his hands and being able to block. I think uh, now I get get why they cut some intriguing backs who may have not been proven and they kept him as their second back because they were like Tony Brooks, James. I mean, yeah, he's an established scat back from a, with a college background, but what Codaro Patterson can bring in the open field. And if we can get him in the open field and looking at the the Falcons with their offensive line, it's just, It's Their offensive line is awful. This guy is going to be used a lot, Mark.
1: He is. Um, You mentioned the outlet ability that he offers. His touchdown catch against Tampa Bay, I'm not making a comparison. I am not making a comparison. But the last time I saw a play like that, I was sitting among 100,000 people in Happy Valley, Penn State, in the press box, Saquon Barkley on a screen route to go up and get it one-handed. And for the second time that day, I thought there was an earthquake. The first time had been opening kickoff of that day, Saquon took it to the house, and I had never been to a a press box at Penn State before, and it shakes. And I was just like, what in the world is happening? But it was that kind of play. He's in the backfield, in pass protection, picks picks up a blitzer, The rest of the offensive line starts to crumble. Ryan has to vacate the pocket. And the feel that Patterson has for that moment to disengage, make himself an available option, go up and get a throw that's high and behind him, pull it in one-handed and accelerate into the end zone, that's stuff you can't teach. That's stuff you cannot teach in a classroom on a practice field. That's just natural ability. He offers that. But what he also offers is then the previous play, they flex him outright, out wide, wide, and he's running a go up, well, go route along the sideline. What do you do? I play this game all the time. What do you do if you're an opposing defensive coordinator? Do you treat him like a running back? Do you treat him like a receiver? Like what do you, that's that's the inherent problem that he poses. Now Atlanta might not be a 10 win team or anything like that. They certainly have their problems, but from a fantasy perspective. He's going to be relevant because of what he offers on the field. That matchup nightmare problem where opposing defensive coordinators are okay, eighty fours in the game. Do we treat him like a running back? Do we treat him like a receiver? Either way, you're going to be wrong.
0: Yeah, I because love of it. what he can do. Yeah, and I think that you can count on this guy probably to get you because of game scripts. Yeah, it's kind of the the game script theory that. PFF's Dwayne McFarland brought up um, with DeAndre Swift and that he's hopeful for. But I think you're actually going to get it when he talked about DeAndre Swift. I think you're actually going to get it in Atlanta with yeah, um, be, Cordero Patterson because they're going be to be bad. They're going to be bad.
1: They're going to be down by 14 by the you know yeah. second quarter of most games. Yeah. They're going to have to throw.
0: And as good as DeAndre Swift is as a receiver – in terms of being able to catch the football and catch the ball in open space. Cordero Patterson, it's not so much about... It's not so much about whether he can catch the ball downfield with guys draped on him. He can do that like a top-wide receiver. What he could never do is run the option routes that you would want, moving him around in different spots where he has to be on the same page with the quarterback and understand the defense to a great extent. But if you if you move him out in a way and say you're running this one route, dude, you know, that's basically it, then there he's going to be just fine. And I think it's, that's then he's a wide receiver.
1: Yeah, it's it's the age old adage of what can he do? Yeah. You know, and that's why Bill Belichick, you know, say whatever you want about him from a evaluation, a general manager standpoint, But that organization, like other organizations like Baltimore and some others, I think, like Cleveland right now, they're asking that question, what can this player do? Patterson's not the guy to like put in a New England Patriots offense as a receiver because of all the option routes, unless it's a situation where he's just a weapon, where we're going to give you three routes to run because we know you run these well, and then we're going to use you out of the backfield because we know you can do this well. That's what Atlanta seems to be doing with him. And it's going to work for him from a fantasy perspective.
0: Exactly. And to, to and if someone's asking, well, why couldn't other teams do that with them? Because teams had better options than Atlanta right now. And yeah. I think that's the real key is that Atlanta is in a rebuild mode. I mean, yes, you could say they saw Matt Ryan, Calvin Ridley's a really good good receiver and of course they've got that kid out of Florida just looking fantastic but their offensive line is the lightest in the league it they're playing like it um you know they 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 still have to get that together and their defenses you know as I joked you know and and in kind shouldn't probably joke about it but you know I last week I said they needed to call an amber alert because Jesse Tuggle was last seen with them in a you know, and a gray Nissan heading south, and yeah. now I think they're all on a milk carton, um, yeah. you know, especially their linebacking core. So, you know, this team, they they can use a guy like Patterson and get the most out of him, but most teams would say, we don't want to limit our offense that much by having him in so often. Um, so, it, you know, I think that's part of it. What about Zach Wilson? Is it even worth it right now to analyze him in the setting that he's in?
1: I think it's still worth it. Okay. I, I think it's still worth it from a how is he going to handle this standpoint? Like this is a moment where I think it's important to look at him and you're gonna take the four interceptions, you're gonna take the production or inefficiency or whatever, and just kind of put it to the side and see how he handles this from a mental competitive toughness standpoint because that offensive line wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be on Sunday With given the injuries. It still wasn't great. When you throw two interceptions early on your first two throws, how do you respond to that? It was a mixed response. He threw two more interceptions, and the last two were a heck of a lot worse than the first two. The first one, first throw of the game, he's trying to make an aggressive tight window throw. Defense makes a good play. He's got a free blitzer at him. Second one, Davis probably should have caught that flood design rolling out. Like, throw is high but catchable. Okay. Third one, got the out route. I don't know why you're trying to fit that overhead, man. I don't know why you're trying to fit that over his head. JC Jackson makes a good play. And then the fourth one. Guys on the sideline, you throw it inside the numbers like that is just a horrific wild miss. The the second two were a lot worse than the first two. So that tells you that, to quote the replacements, quicksand, right? You're struggling, you're fighting it, you're trying to play your way out of it, and you're just making things worse. He fell victim to quicksand in week two. How does he respond now? How does he respond going forward? And again, I don't care about, you know, Reed's completion percentage and all that stuff going forward. I want to see if he just gets better, like just looks better, looks tougher. Does not compound the mistakes like he did against New England? That's what I'm going to be focusing on. I mean, people are going – New York papers are already saying, look, this is a disaster. You know, the, the seat is hot under Sala. The seat is hot under Zach Wilson. No, you give this two years. Like that's that's the time frame here. But I do want to see from a mental perspective, how does he respond to what we saw at a disastrous week too?
0: Yeah. I don't think Joe Douglas keeps his job if um they don't get two years. And what I mean by that, that sounds weird. It sounds kind of like a yogi no, I you mean. type yeah. of comment. But it's like Joe Douglas is gonna be the one that's gonna look at the media. He's just gonna be stiff arming the media. And if the ownership is like the ownership is like, well, you've got to do something here. You're gonna to have to make wild changes. He's like, we told you this was gonna be like this. Yeah, that they were gonna be growing pains, and yeah. it's, sometimes it's gonna get ugly. And if yeah. you can't deal with the ugly, then just let me know, because I don't, I don't want to be yeah. with I you mean, if you, if you're, if you're not. You C.J. Mosley,
1: their linebacker, said it exactly right. He's like, he's our guy. Zach Wilson is our quarterback. He's our present and our future. But it's going there are going to be bad days. There are going to be growing points. Development is not linear. It's just not. And we all wish it was this nice little, you know, nice little arc going up. It's not. There are gonna be bad days like this. Mac Jones is going to have bad days like this. Mac Jones wasn't great Sunday either. Yeah. Like you re-watch that film, he left a lot of stuff out there. And there are a lot of questions about Mac Jones, even though he's the rookie quarterback with the best completion percentage and touchdown and interception ratio and all that. No, you, you you watch, there are missed opportunities for Mac Jones too. So all these young quarterbacks, whether it's Trevor Lawrence, whether it's Jones, Wilson, Fields, who played a lot on Sunday, there are going to be ups and downs. You want to see them just get better, the overall arc of their development getting better. Yeah, I mean, we
0: have to remember, I mean, this sounds kind of narrative-ish and it probably is, and it's fine. The, I think the narrative with this is that, Zach Wilson is kind of the 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 small town kind of kid, or the small area kind of kid in terms of BYU yep. relative to going to New York. He went to the epicenter, and he and he's going to a football team. And I understand this mentality as well as anybody because I observed Cleveland Browns fans for many many years. And and when you are a team that's been starved for a good quarterback mm-hmm. basically since you know, Ken O'Brien and Ken O'Brien and I would even say Joe Namath, but Ken O'Brien was at least a pro bowl caliber quarterback. Um, when you're starved that long for a quality quarterback and a winning team that takes you to the playoffs consistently, um, you tend to overestimate or under, you, you tend to overreact to everything because you're looking for a quarterback. I see it with bears fans. I see it with col with, um, Jets fans, I've seen it with Browns fans. I still see it with Browns fans, you, you know, because when you get somebody doing something that they're supposed to do, suddenly now he's elevated to the status in the media and among super fans and among like those who write for like even small sites, he's being elevated to the likes of great players. Yep. And then the next week when he has that growth Experience or that experience that's going to facilitate growth, or hopefully will. Now it's like, did we even make the right decision? Should we throw out the baby with the bathwater? All right. those different things, and that's in the stage that this is at. And I and I, you know, I'm I'm sure I don't have a preponderance of New York Jets fans listening who are like that, but I know they are familiar with that. Just to walk looking in the media, I see it with Browns fans right now. Yeah, Baker Mayfield. Col- completes a wide open, you know, flag route. And people are on Twitter saying that this is an elite throw when it's actually like, no, every rookie can make this throw. Um, you, you know, and it wasn't even that big of a read. It was a well-schemed play. He did what he was supposed to do. I'm not saying that right. bad, but to say, but you know, there's a difference between that's the thing. They don't have a barometer for, for what's in between great and terrible. And, and until they get some stability in the organization for a number of years, they don't, the media and fans have a difficult time with that um, because they're hoping to, the media is hoping to get eyeballs and they want to present it as a, could this be the guy who leads us out of the, out of the swamp, you know? And I think that that's what happened with Darnold. He had some good practices and, but you could tell when Robert Sal is saying, listen, he's working on throws we're trying to make him work on throws where he he doesn't get his eyeballs aren't get too big, you know, about certain looks that he saw in in college. It was basically the ball travels faster in college. The, in the pros, the defensive back travels faster. Yeah. And and everybody's like, well, it's good that he's working on that. He's going to get better. He's going to fix this before he even gets on the field. No, he's still going to, he has to get that experience in the NFL. And he's getting some of that experience. But it doesn't mean that he's not going to be a good player. It just means exactly what you said, Mark. It's, it's going to take him some time. And there were lots of guys in this league who looked awful in, in their first year. Steve Young was one of them. Um, Steve Young was awful in a Tampa Bay setup that's probably very similar to what we're seeing with the Jets right now. Um, yep. what's around him. And he turned, he was able to turn that around Jared Goff, who may not be the guy that people want Zach Wilson to be compared to, you know, people were like, he shouldn't even be playing pro football because he doesn't understand an offense, you know, but then we find out that Jeff Fisher's offense got complaints from even it's running back, you know, at that point described it as a high school offense, um, in a pejorative fashion. And, you know, now now you look at him and it's like, look, golf kept them in that game for the most part. he had he did make a mistake that took them out of that game, but at the same point, you know you're you're looking around, you got to give guys a chance to develop a little bit and and not all of them are going to turn out like Denver quarterbacks in the in, in the past few years. they, they yep. actually may develop and grow.
1: I'm reminded, I'm going to paraphrase the quote from the movie, the Sorkin movie, American president fans in these fan bases are so starved for quarterback play. They're so thirsty for it. They'll crawl through the desert towards a mirage. And when they get there and discover there's no water, they'll drink the sand. Yeah. And that's what these fan bases are going through. That's perfect.
0: Yeah. So, on the opposite side of that, is Sam yep. Arnold feeling a little validation, even though he might be feeling for Wilson as a peer, you know, in the NFL?
1: I think so. I think so. Um, He still has those boneheaded moments, right? Like, he had the boneheaded interception against the Saints where it's like, look, you're up 17 nothing. Like, you don't need to do that. Like, you don't need to do that. But then you watch him. There's some fluidity to his footwork and his drops. The eyes and the feet are tied together. He seems very comfortable in a new offense for him. And I think that speaks to Joe Brady, who is going to do wonders next year, either in Cincinnati with Joe Burrow or in Chicago with Justin Fields. I mean, that's coming, kids. That's coming. Um, But I think Donald has looked very good. Um, He was solid, not great week one. I thought he was much better week two. Um, The Panthers might be for real. I think that's the underlying story here because then you look at the defensive side of the ball, you got Brian Burns, you got Jeremy Chin, you know, Hassan Reddick, you've got talent, Phil Snow's defense. I remember last year our friend Doug Ferrar, he and I were doing a show and he talked about that game. They lost to the Packers on a Saturday night late in the season. And Aaron Rodgers after the game was like, I was confused. Like they were doing some things. That were, they were doing some crazy silly things back there. So it was things I was not expecting. A lot of people have thrown out the phrase college defense and things like that. But Phil Snow's defense and the talent they have are going to keep them in games. And Darnold and the weapons he has is going to win them some games. So, yeah, I think Darnold's feeling some vindication. He's feeling like, look, all the stuff that was written this summer about how I'm going to be a better quarterback away from Adam Gase, you see it now. And so, yeah, I, I, I've been very impressed with that team.
0: Yeah, and you know, it's only a college or high school Caliber team and or or scheme when when the players don't play well. Right. And and the scheme totally limits what you can do and it's unrealistic for its it, with its application. But it can come from it can come from Pop Warner and it and if it's well executed and it's execute, you know, and part of that execution is how it's applied in the right system then you're you know then you have a you know then then you have yourself something that's going to work out well and with Darnold i mean i think the quickest way i'd sum up Darnold is that you know Darnold always had the opportunity to be a player in the style of Matt Stafford or Brett Favre you yeah. know someone who is going to make some some great throws for you be able to get out of trouble to have that kind of moxie to to create um, but he's always going to have that wild hair, that that where there's going to be a play or two in every game, and when he's not playing well, maybe five or six of them, where the the defense is gonna you know gonna be able to take advantage of him. I mean, even Matt Stafford this year, I'll, you know, watching him last week against the Colts, he you know he looks good. You know the the Rams are excited about him and talking him up and how he does things in practice that are great but it's that same pro football player mentality. I see over and over again, Ooh, big arm. Ooh, he's fast. Ooh, he's tough. He's tall. You know, he's strong, big, strong, fast. Okay. I get it. You know, but he still also is the guy that makes some dumb throws. I mean, and I love Matt Stafford's game, Yep. but he still does it. And And no quarterback's perfect that way other than maybe one in Kansas city, but there's, you know, that's, and one in Tampa, but the, uh, but that's the thing. When you look at Stafford, he's still going to have some of those boneheaded plays. So I look at Sam Darwin right now, he's playing like a, a second tier Matt Stafford or, or second tier or third tier Brett Favre, which, you know, it's good enough right now, but you want to continue to see the progression to where he's limiting those mistakes more and more. But, You know, with that offense that they have, you know, with McCaffrey and with, you know, they're able to expand a few things, you know, with him that I think they don't, they may not have Teddy Bridgewater back there in terms of the, the care and the, the ability to make the smart play when he's moving around all the time. But Darnold gives you more upside than Bridgewater because of the athletic skill set that he has. So I wanna I had a question from a reader who wanted to know what were the one to two most improvable skills for um players who are transitioning from college to pro. And and I was gonna I, I could we could have taken an hour to do all of this. So I just limited it to the positions we talk about the most here. Yeah. So we're gonna do quarterback, running back, wide receiver and tight end. So
1: Yeah, I mean I, I think for quarterback, you know, in terms of the most improvable skills, it's probably just a deeper understanding of what you're trying to accomplish in terms of attack and defenses. You know, when, when you're in college, it's a, you know, for most cases, I'd say, it's a sort of cursory understanding you get to the NFL. It's a lot deeper of, okay, this is where my eyes need to be. This is what they're going to try to take away from me. This is what I need to do on this concept. It's that sort of, getting beyond the 101 level of attack and defense is getting into some masters level programs and it's a, it's a process that takes some time with, with i think with tight ends I'll go there next being an NFL tight end is different being an NFL tight end is different and for a lot of these guys lined up next to the tackle and you know making the right reads and calls on run blocking schemes like that's tough. That that's new for a lot of these guys because when you have an 85-man, you know, roster, you have your catching tight end, you have your move tight end, the guy that you're gonna throw post routes to, and you have your guy that you're gonna line up and block. That's why look a Noah Fant, a TJ Hawkinson, these guys from these Iowa systems, where they're asked to do more of that, that they become valuable quicker in the NFL. Some guys like a Mike Gisecki, for example. It's more of a learning curve. Kyle Pitts might be the unicorn and that they asked him to do some pass pro stuff. But so for tight ends, it's the blocking side. For receivers, I think a lot of it is just feel. It is It's feel and it's uh, adjusting to life against press coverage and press alignment. You know, because you don't see a ton of guys that either A, do press against you in college or B, are like good at it, right? And so you're going to see a lot more of it in the NFL Guys in your face, guys on your toes off the line of scrimmage, and so getting the feel for that is huge. With running backs, I mean, I would almost defer to you on running back because, look, when you talk running backs, I shut up and listen. But I I think for me it's vision. It's identifying holes and opportunities and knowing what you can and cannot get away with. Like on Saturday against Mercer, you might have that cutback lane that you can hit. On Sunday against the Washington football team, or the New England Patriots, you might think it's true, but you're not going to be able to do it. And so, figure it out what you sort of can and can't get away with. I think that's the most improvable skill for rookie running backs.
0: I love how you answered those questions too, because there, you talked about it from a facet that I didn't think about, which was, and probably the way that I phrased the question, but I didn't think about it that way because I'm bleary-eyed. But it's the, <laughs> but it's the idea of what's the what's the lowest-hanging fruit. In terms of like, or what are the things that they need to improve the most? What are the things that they need to improve the yeah. most when they transition? I was thinking the lowest hanging fruit of what they can they can actually do. Like, so for me, for a quarterback, I think the thing that's the lowest hanging fruit is we could watch Jameis Winston and see that. It's footwork. It's yeah. like drop footwork, especially in, the, in these days where, you know, it's like, listen, we're in the drop just isn't as important in the college game. I mean, it is, right. it's underrated now, but we've seen Heisman trophy winners who basically, you know, look like they're at a seventh grade dance, you know, yep. you know slow dancing yep. basically with their footwork dragging across, you know, one to two steps and that's it doing the little shuffle. And I think that when you see the three, five step drop game and the different things that go on with play action and the type of, the, the expanded looks there, getting your feet right so that you can set up and move and throw. And I think that's the most, that's the lowest hanging fruit that can help a quarterback's game immediately. Yeah. If a quarterback realizes that they need to do that. And I think so that, for me, that's one. For running back, uh, footwork would probably be um, high up there. Um, just understanding the understanding the difference between zone and gap and how to approach it would probably be the, the thing that would help their game the most. Um, but part of that is learning footwork patterns and, and be yep. learning how to be efficient. Like you can't lean on jump cuts. Um, you know, if you, if you're a dynamic player and everything you do is a jump cut, the only guy I've ever seen who's played for as a starter and been a high end starter, who lived off jump cuts in this current era is Adrian Peterson. Adrian Peterson can jump cut forward three feet in towards the line and still be quick enough to get outside and no. not run into the back of his lineman. Everyone else who's tried that from Kenyon Drake to Saquon Barkley to a number of people wind up caught in the backfield. Um, you know, So I would say the, that as well as just pass protection, Like just understanding, understanding, you know, if you can get, if you can improve your footwork to where you're opening, you know, you just point the toe and open your hips. Like Matt Forte, um, Arian Foster, if you're a young running back and you don't know who those two guys are and you happen to be watching the show and you're like serious about wanting to go to college or get better at your high school level, watch them when they point their toe outside and their hips open and they can do something in one step that takes some pro running backs who are on semi-successful, um, you know, two to three steps, and usually run right. the backs of somebody to do. If yeah. you the, the sooner you can get outside of penetration, the sooner you can open your hips and go. That means the the deeper you can press into the line. It means the the better you can respond to penetration and and create space for yourself. And when you can manipulate the defense by getting closer to it and then cut back, you're setting up blocks better. So yep. you're helping your team teammates do their job for you They're You're helping them help you. And so that's the type of thing that I would say is, is big for running back as well as uh, again, the pass pro learning how to punch like yep. running backs more than I see than anything is that they lean, they overextend and lean forward and, And they think that's what they need to do against a linebacker or against a defensive tackle. And really all they need to do is learn how to work through their hips to deliver a punch. Yes, they might get knocked backward by a 300-pounder, but the punch that they deliver will stop them more.
1: Watch Ezekiel Elliott week one against, I believe it was either Levante David or Devin White-Blitz. David. And I know we talked about that, yeah. but all Elliott did was get that initial punch. And yeah, he got rocked back and you're watching it live. You might think, man, Elliott just got destroyed. No, he threw the block he needed to do to give Dak Prescott time in the pocket. Like yeah. that's what you need to do. If you can
0: keep your eyes up, head up, and actually uppercut through with your hands yep. and use your hips, watch watch guards and tackles and how they roll through the hips to hit. Yep. Those two thing those two things for running backs, you would you will make your life better. You-, you know, but learning the learning how learning the footwork you need to approach gap versus what you need to run zone, that will make you gotta be versatile in the NFL. Wide receivers, I'd say just <laughs> two things come to mind very quickly. Using the appropriate hands technique, understanding Like, understanding when to use your hands and working on when you extend your arms above your head that your hands don't come together in a clapping motion that you can extend with your hands together like when you go up because if you have to meet, you're already putting yourself in a position where you got to clap on the ball. And the ball's coming too fast, you know, yep. or you're doing a complex movement to get there. So learning when to use the correct hands technique and getting it down to the point that you're not thinking about it. Because if you have to think about it, when a ball's at chest level, whether to go like this or to go like that, yep. you, you know, you're, you're in trouble. And, and so... I would say that's one of the easiest things that I see, and for them again, it's footwork. And with all these guys, footwork is probably one of the most important things. That's why these these trainers get
1: you see those ladder drills all the time, Matt. Uh,
0: yeah, but I mean, getting off the line of scrimmage, you've got to have more than two moves. Yeah, you're going to have to have multiple moves, and learning to work. I think inside rather than if you want to get outside, it's you got to be able to know when to work inside like watch deandre hopkins and the fact that he knows that in order to get outside a defender if he wants an outside release sometimes he has to go inside to do it yeah so so learning how to learn how to use your feet first to win against press rather than than just using your hands or using one or two moves that they are going to be able to predict now right um, that that's important tight end i mean I'm with you about the blocking, but yeah. and there's different types of things there. I would say the easiest thing for them to improve upon is learning how to snap off their breaks. Like, just being quick. Like, yeah. uh, the, the best... the You know, you look at these old guys like Gronk, and back in the day it was either Gates or Gonzalez, and when everyone said they were at the end of their career, and they're still converting third down after third down. And it's yep. because when you watch them... That they can still beat a linebacker every day, all day on a stop route because they can snap their turn yep. and, and they're sudden on that one thing. And the biggest thing I always see between the top tight end prospect in college and when they get to the pros is that a lot of the top tight ends in college, they're slow with that turn. And yep. then within a year or two, I see them getting open and winning against linebackers on those routes because – They figured out they have to be sudden with that snap. So that's one of the, those are one of the, those are some of the easiest things to fix that really, I think, elevate each of those positions games. So I I just saw this on the Manning show last night when we were watching the Monday night. Do you really believe Rob Gronkowski doesn't watch film?
1: Not for a second. Yeah. Not for an absolute second. And I I think this is a great example of, the brilliance of Rob Gronkowski. And I know that sounds a little funny. No, it's, because yeah. I he, but he plays a character and he plays it well because the goofy Gronk answer is, no, I don't watch film. I just tell Tom, Gronk watches film all the time. Gronk's always, like, you don't get to be the kind of player he is if you don't understand releases, if you don't. Because then what, what did he also say in that? He wanted to thank Manning for the trap pass that Brady talked to Manning about to get it stalled because the dynamics of that play and the eye candy it sets up for the linebackers baited so many linebackers into diving downhill, created space for Rob Gronkowski behind them on crossing routes. You don't have that understanding of it if you haven't watched that on film. Like, So, yeah, Gronk, Gronk watches film all the time. Like He's, he's playing a character, he plays it extremely well, but he watches film.
0: Yeah, he's an extremely smart guy who wants you to think that he's just a bro. Yeah. That's basically that's it. it. He likes being popular. He likes having fun. He's, you know, he there's all of that. And then you hear him talk about what it was like to deal with the pain and why he left. And that's the side that you don't see. Yeah. Um, but when he provided that and you see what he kind of went through to play the game um, and a lot of players go through, um, it, you, you know you that's the side he doesn't like the show but he's you know sometimes clowns are the saddest people or have the ability and i won't say that maybe a, a better way of saying it is that sometimes clowns have the capacity to deal with a lot of sadness and and understand that um you see that with comedians a lot sometimes comedians are the angriest people they you, you know and you'll see that with their humor but gronkowski seems like a guy who lives a full life and yeah and he's, he, like you said, he is, he playing a character that, that guy is a, that guy's a brilliant tight end, you, you know, and he's, yep. a, and he's a, he, they talk about how hard of a worker he is. Like he, in practice, it's always been, yeah, he has fun. He's having fun out there when he practices, but don't get it twisted. The guy works right. very hard at his craft.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And when he said, I taught TJ Hawkinson, you know, on that, on that play against the linebacker and people were kind of laughing. No, TJ Hawk. I know someone affiliated with Iowa organization that said T.J. Hawkinson. I don't know if he said he worked with Gronk, but he learned positioning on routes in the end zone from Gronkowski, watching a ton of Gronkowski film. And I'm sure either he told Gronk that, or he had gotten an opportunity to do a little work with him. Yeah. So, um, Let's talk about the college football a little bit. We'll increasingly do that as the season wears on. Um, but tell me about a college player who's caught your eye in recent weeks.
1: Kenny Pickett, the the quarterback for Pittsburgh, um, and you know I, from studying him the past couple of weeks, the the win down at Tennessee was a big one. They lose to Western Michigan this week, but he throws six touchdown passes. Passes Dan Marino on Pittsburgh's all time. Yardage list. Oh, now he's just number two behind Alex Van Pelt. It is a strange quarterback class. Um, and I know, look, it's just September. There's a lot of football left to be played. A lot of teams are just getting into conference scheduling. But Spencer Rattler hasn't exactly lived up to the first round, first overall, Bill. And Sam Howell bounced back this past week against Virginia, but he had a tough game against Virginia Tech in the season opener. You look at – Matt Corral, he's been very good. Um, Maybe he's QB1 right now. Maybe Carson Strawn is QB1, but there are questions. Kenny Pickett right now looks like the guy that's playing himself into that first-round mix. You get an early sort of like Mac Jones rise kind of vibe out of him. Now, he he might not end up that way. He might not end up in the first round. He might still be a day-two guy. But I've been very impressed, the athleticism outside of the pocket, The poise, the veteran presence that he has inside the pocket. He's somebody that stood out to me for sure. Very cool.
0: I don't think it's a fantastic running back class this year and compared to recent years
1: where we've had
0: some pretty darn good ones. But this is a late round or UDFA guy (laughs) that I like. And it's Fresno State's Ronnie Rivers. Um, Ronnie Rivers is like a 5'9", 200-pound type of back who can pass protect. He catches the ball split wide on like smoke routes and in breaking routes. Um, he can work out of the backfield well, but he has sneaky good um, contact balance um, in the hole. He's someone that has the burst you're looking for, and he can run zone and gap. And I, you know, every once in a while, Chad Ryder and I kind of check in. He's an NFL, he's NFL.com's kind of research guy. Uh, I'll, I, and, Everybody who's on TV has people who, like, feed the, t- the TV yep. heads information, talking points that they need in terms of their research. Chad Ryder does that. He's basically yeah. the the wizard behind the curtain um, for a lot of what you see. And he was also basically in Dane Brugler's position before Dane Brugler at CBS. Um, yep. So and Chad and I were talking – we'd talk about running backs, and we'll, he, he's like, yeah, you know, he kind of hit me on to – um, Christian Beal Smith over at Wake Forest, who's a, who's a fun back. But, you know, I brought up Ronnie Rivers the other day and he had seen him already because he, he studies all these guys very early and he, and, and he got excited about him too. And I knew that that was fun. There's kind of a, you know, kind of that Bobby Rainey, Dion Lewis kind of guy who can be yeah. a scat back for you and, or for a team or different teams for the next seven, eight years and come into a game and actually play well. Um, Ronnie Rivers is that guy. Maybe he could be a little bit more, but he caught my eye watching him um, this week because when you can get a back who can do so much well, that just opens up the avenue for him to, to really work with any team and make a roster. All right, so here we are getting down to the home stretch, and we have... Our tried and true final question here.
1: Here we go. So we're
0: gonna do. I was surprised.
1: I gotta say, before we dive into this, I was kind of surprised by this one because I think most people look at me and how I act, and they think I'm rather shy, timid, reserved, somebody that's not gonna like do a lot of things, take a lot of risks. I think people might be surprised at some of these responses. I think I'm they just gonna might say that.
0: I-, I think this is gonna be interesting because. This is, instead of like the whole criminal thing, I kind right. of got, got that out of my system for the past couple of weeks. Um, we're going to do tried and loved, tried and hated, would try if you could, or would never try. And I've just got some things listed here. Mark, if you have any that just came to mind as you read this list, we can add them to it too. But I do have one to add. Okay, cool. Good. All right. So let's start let's start from the from the bottom down we'll start with okay with boxing tried and loved tried and hated would try if you could would never try
1: this is something i would try if i could I've always been intrigued by the sweet science. We've talked about boxing. We've used boxing and boxers as comparisons of time. I remember talking about Jared Goff and his footwork in the pocket to create space, similar to created space to throw a punch. I'd love to be able to do it. I'm, you know, There's a gym by me that I, I thought about signing up for it, but I just haven't done it yet. But that's one of the ones that, yeah, I mean, if, if I had an opportunity to really go out and do it I had some time, maybe next summer, I'd love to do it. I'd love to try it
0: when I was younger and you wouldn't know it now based on the way I look, I did a lot of boxing workouts um, and, and really, and and really enjoyed it. Um, and that was really cool, but getting in the ring, I think 20 years ago I would have done it maybe even 15 or 10 years ago. I would have done it. Now I'm kind of like, I like my teeth in the sense that I need them to play an instrument so I don't even want to take the shot of losing my teeth. So um, because at that point I can't play. So I would say would would never try. Um, all right. Fried chicken livers.
1: I would try them. Yeah, I would try them. Um, I I'm very much a I mean, plain just like liver and onions. Like that's no go for me. But fried chicken livers. Yeah, I tried one. Sure.
0: I like liver and onion, livers and onions, but based on the smell of fried chicken livers, um, and I have tried them and hated them, so I'll yeah. say tried and hated. Tried and hated. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll,
1: I'll probably do it uh, if I had the opportunity. I mean, I remember on a, a trip, we took a cruise, you know, fried gator. You know, I gave that a shot. Um, <laughs> you know, steak stuff, rattlesnake, whatever. I, I'll I'll try most things in the in the food realm especially if it's fried. All right. Streaking. Here we go. Um, tried it, loved it, I guess, is the answer here. Um, if you ever look at a picture, if you Google Wesleyan University, which is where I went to college, you will see, of course, a picture of Foss Hill, which is the main hill, like in the heart of campus. Uh, at the top of the hill, you've got some dorms, like Butterfield Dorm. You've got the observatory, um, you know, it's it's very picturesque. The hill comes down into where basically the baseball field is, and then the outfield—that's where the football field is. During the season, you have the stands rolled out, but they take those away. It's like ideal, idealistic, like vision of a New England small Ivy school, right? On the right side, you have you know our main library, Olin Library, with the huge like three-story windows that overlook like the baseball field and the football field. You've got like collegiate row where you've got the admissions building. You've got all this stuff. It's very picturesque. My dorm room my freshman year was in Hewitt 10, the first floor. I had this huge sliding glass window in my dorm room overlooking all of this in Foss Hill. And I will tell people to this day, I had the best dorm room because I wake up in the morning. I just see the crowds gather, especially if it's fall. It's nice weather out on a Friday. It's gorgeous. Foss Hill is also a den of activity. In the spring, where we have spring fling, the stage is set up at the base. Everybody's on the hill looking down. In the winter, when you get ice, you get snow. Everybody grabs a tray from the dining hall. They go sledding down Foss Hill. At night, when the weather is nice, you go streaking down Foss Hill. That's what you do, okay? The best part about that is College Row across the way, the public safety, the campus police is right there, and they've got a vision of Foss Hill a beautiful view of it. And they have spotlights and floodlights. And they like to play a game, which is you want to go streaking. That's fine. But you got you to gotta be brave enough to run into the light. And so they will shine the lights on everybody as they go streaking down Foss Hill. And one of the times I did it, I go streaking down Foss Hill and I turn around and there's one of our young coaches <laughs> doing the same exact thing. There you go. So, yeah, I mean, I've got my <laughs> streaking stories.
0: One of the times one of the times that's the key that was one the of the one. times this, this was, was a more yeah, unlike, than a obviously once event tried and loved so there yeah go. I mean yeah.
1: you're in college it's it's what you do
0: yeah I I would agree I I tried and loved it too and it was I, I visited friends at Duke University and we uh we were basically playing a playing a playing a game and I just decided that I had enough to drink um yep. And so the dare was there's a church across the street <laughs> and they lived in a house that the, the band blind melon, I guess, used to, used to oh, have nice. when they were setting up and it was called the sleepy house. And they were like, you got a streak from the streaky, ho- the sleepy house to the, to the church, touch the church doors and run back. And this was on a Friday night, probably, I don't know. I don't know what time it was at that point. I just knew that I didn't need to drink anymore. Yeah. Um, so so yeah so yeah that wasn't bad i didn't have you know i i i don't know if i'd say i loved it but i loved that more than puking my guts out i'd say
1: that that's for sure yeah i mean Um, look it's one of the things you do and i'm sure my parents uh, are super happy hearing these stories but but, but, hey yeah no i
0: mean this was the same wedding that i this this was the same friends who ended up getting married and and our and the whole wedding party basically skinny dipped after the after you know in a lake across the street from strom thurman's house um you know in south carolina which that's fun uh, we had a we had a good laugh about that um but uh but yeah so so yeah i'd say that was fun tried and loved it blood sausage
1: you don't get the full english breakfast if you just skimp on the blood sausage like it's it's a part of it i love the full english i like to make it um I've made blood sausage. I, I bought it from little butchers. Um, some I got a butcher shop that I like to go to that sells it. I've made it. When we were in London, you certainly get it. Um, I don't know if I'd go as far to say that as I loved it, um, but it's something that I would certainly eat again.
0: I, I would try it. I just never had it.
1: So yeah. It's one of the few
0: things it's- I haven't tried. So. Yeah,
1: I mean, look, it's 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 part of the experience. You get the baked beans, you get you know the the sausage that goes with it, the eggs, the the mushrooms, the tomatoes. Sounds you know, good. I've I've got Gordon Ramsay's one of his cookbooks that has the full recipe for the traditional English full breakfast. It's one of my favorite things on the planet, and yeah, this is a component to it that you got to get a loop in there.
0: All right, good, very good to know.
1: Karaoke, tried it um multiple times wouldn't say i love it um this is not a sin in voice kids we can just be honest you know it's it's not for that but yeah I, i've done it um don't i wouldn't necessarily say i'd go out and like seek it out again but yeah i've done it
0: i've never tried karaoke really yeah really
1: i am currently googling mobile alabama karaoke bars.
0: <laughs> I. I guess I would try it, but I'm not sure I would. I, I don't know. I'm kind of on the fence about that one. Tequila.
1: Tried it. I guess loved it. Um, You know, you spend time in, you know, Mexico, Cancun or whatever. I mean, last time I was in Mexico was actually Cabo San Lucas. And I was just, you know, I would just sip tequila. Um, Now there are some tequilas that are better than others. Um, you get like Mr. Boston brand tequila, like you're, you're, you're in trouble. Um, but vodka. You, yeah, I mean, any, anything that's like any, any hard alcohol that comes in the plastic bottle, it's usually not a good sign. Um, but that's what you do in college. But yeah, I mean, a high end tequila. I have yet to try the rocks tequila, Tramana. I've heard it's actually pretty good. Um, so I might want to try that, but yeah, I, I like tequila. There was, we went on a sunset cruise on a catamaran around like the picturesque rock formations in Cabo. I'm just sit there, sip of tequila. It was a nice little evening. I love tequila.
0: See, I would need to try some high end tequila. Um, but I have to get over the smell. There's a certain smell yeah. that I just, that turns my stomach. So I would say probably tried and hated. Um, yeah. I mean,
1: for me, that's gin. Like, Oh, I, like I had gin. a, I, I had a really bad night with gin in college and now I just, I smell gin and just, no, I just can't do it. You know, people said, Oh, gin and tonic. No, absolutely not. You probably just grabbed a bottle of, you know, Hendrix, didn't you?
0: No, but this little thing here keeps saxophone reeds, and it keeps them moist and keeps them from getting mold because you put, uh, they usually say you can put Listerine in it or something in the sponge. Yeah. I put gin in it. So. Wow. It, I get the minty kind of minty peppermint kind of taste of gin. Wow.
1: So, I, I thought you would go over a, for a bottle of Hendricks or something. I was uh, going to be impressed.
0: No, no, no. But we got some gin downstairs and but actually I, in a couple of days, I got to refill this thing about once a month. I got to refill that sponge so it doesn't. Gotcha. But yeah, I like gins, but, uh, but uh, I may need to try. I may need to try Ryan Reynolds' brand of aviator. Jet. That's
1: supposed to be good too. Yeah, That's supposed to be really good. I might have to check that out. But um, okay, cool. So rock climbing. This is a no go for me. This is an absolute no go for me, and it's part of a crippling fear of heights. And this weekend, my wife and I we've been slowly changing out the exterior lights on our house. Um, Used to have these like brass fixtures, old and disgusting. We've been changing them all out to these like sleek, modern, like matte black ones. And the one that I saved for last was the one that is over our garage door (laughs) that's maybe like 11 feet off the ground. And that was the most terrifying two hours of my recent life was doing that this weekend. And I've also identified that like part of my fear of heights is derived from a fear of dropping things from heights. And so I here I am at the on this step ladder. I maybe my my feet are maybe five feet off the ground. Like I'm not high up, and I'm trying to take the old one off, and it's got this like flowered glass pane design. So like it's got like six you know sheets of glass, and it's got a cap to hold it all in place. You take the cap off, and they all kind of like unfurl like a flower opening up. I was so terrified of dropping one of those glass pan- panes. That what I literally, I was afraid that I couldn't unscrew it all and take it all down. And so I just literally took it apart piece by piece. I would go up, I would take a screw off, I would come back down. I would go up, take another screw off, I would come back down. I would go up, slide that one glass pane out, make sure it's all secure. Take that one. It probably took me an hour to take that thing down. Anybody else with a reasonable expectations or reasonable adherence and tolerance for heights would have done it in five seconds. But so... Long story short, you are not getting me up on a rock climbing wall. You're certainly not getting me up on the side of a mountain. Like there's a a place near us that's like a rock climb like place where they have like different themed like rock climbing walls you can do. I see people with harnesses. I've brought my kids there. You cannot pay me to get up there. Absolutely, I, I go like on the first little rock, and I'm like, I'm six inches off the ground. I'm done.
0: I would do rock climbing. Um, really? Yeah, and I'm not a heights guy necessarily but i'm the guy that does have to go up on the roof to to do stuff at the house yeah the rare stuff i do around the house that my wife doesn't involves me going up on the roof to clear stuff out or that kind of thing um and i've always and i've found myself in those situations i think my first heights thing and i found myself in situations that i really shouldn't be in like that like i i remember I worked at a theater at the University of Georgia for a little while, building sets for their scene shop. And we had this we had this um, theater professor named B. Don B. Don Massey. Okay. And, and B. Don sounds like he who he was. Just, he was a good old boy, great guy. Um, made his own made his own um, alcohol out of a still, um, as well as made his own beer. Um, and he had some great stories. He taught me welding, which was pretty cool. Um, that's cool and but we he one day you know after doing some work for about three about three or four months he was like he kind of tested me because he was like i want to see if i can have this guy do some more work over the summer doing some specialized stuff where i could pay him more so he's like we're gonna do we're gonna hang some curtains up on this grid uh, in the main theater and so when you get up on a stage with the main theater, you don't realize how high up that is. Yeah. And so first we go to the first couple of stories, and it's really like a couple stories up on a on an iron ladder, um, and you climb up it. And I'm fine there, walking around on the on the catwalk up there, getting things tied and doing all that. He goes, okay, now we're gonna go up to the grid. Um, that's what he called it. And the grid was seven stories up. A a um one of those metal like r- iron ladders literally welded to a um or bolted to a brick wall and that's it and he just starts climbing up now he's my age that i am now he's like fifty, right. and he's and you know you know be done if you were, for some reason were ever listening to this i'm doubt you are but like you know <laughs> yeah. be Don was a night nice, a decent looking man but he he had a bigger gut than i did all that beer that he was drinking And he's climbing up there like it's nothing. I'm like 25 in shape. I just played like probably like an hour and a half of racquetball before I did this. So I was a little tired and I'm climbing up this thing and I'm going, don't look down, just don't look down. So we get up there and running alongside of this ladder is a, like one of those pipes, you know? And, but the pipe stops short of the grid. The grid's like, there's a little square opening once you get seven stories up and he and the ladder ends before the grid too so he then grabs the i'm I'm looking up like six and three-quarter stories up and i'm going i'm getting kind of tired and i'm watching him and he takes one arm and hand and puts it on the grid and then he lifts his foot up in an angle that you know maybe you see you know Nick Chubb get his foot up to get over like a shooting safety and puts his foot on the drain pipe on the pipe to hoist himself up and get onto that thing and I'm going well I'm either going to get up here or I'm going to die cuz and so I got up there and and I'm like okay cool and I was like this is not this was not a good idea and then I'm walking around on the grid and of course you look down and there's little slats in between so you can see everything below you but you can't mark visibly getting sick right now. So I, am. I am.
1: My wife, we have, my wife and I have a phrase we call it, tingly, butt," which is what happens to me. My butt literally tingles with heights. As you're telling that story that's happened, me. because I have a, I have a story that I'll tell in yeah. a second. Yeah. About yeah this. Mark
0: is turning blue and green. Like I can see yeah. it like in his face and like, and I literally looked down and I'm like, he's like, you okay? He's walking around doing stuff. He's like, come on over here. And I'm like, I'm moving slowly because I feel like even though I know logically there's no way I I can slip and fall between like two inch spaces or three inch spaces in the between each metal bar that's this grid that I'm walking on I'm I'm still see the the floor below me and it's yeah. very unsettling and he goes yeah I got I go I don't know man this is this I I don't think I can function up here all that well. Getting up here was okay, even though that, that hoist that you did, I was wondering what the hell I was doing here. And he started laughing. He goes, Yeah, I just wanted to see whether or not you could function up here. If you could, I could, you know, I could probably pay you at that time. I think it was like fifteen bucks an hour. I was making like four bucks an hour at the time. That's how old I am, you know, doing this stuff. And then we got down and I kissed the ground of that stage, man. I mean, and so yeah, I would rock climb in with a harness. I would probably do that um like like my first my my first school crush who I went on a date with in like middle school. She's a rock climber out in Colorado and she's you know she's 51 and and is rock climbing like I admire the fact that she does that. I would probably try that with the what she's doing cuz she's not going way up there right. doing the extreme stuff but but no, so that's that's where we're at.
1: Yeah, I mean, because the story I'm going to tell: Cartalk Lighthouse down in Cartalk, uh, Outer Banks, North Carolina. Yeah. Um, Two hundred and twenty steps to get to the top of it. It's national <laughs> monument. Like it's the view when you get up to the top is amazing. I will say that. But when we were down there for spring break last spring, we went up as a family. And it's this wrought iron spiral staircase to the top (laughs) that as you were talking about it, getting to the top of that, you could see, and it was the same thing. I'm walking behind my daughter and then my wife and then my son. And I know that physically it is impossible for a body to contort in such a way that my daughter would slip through the stairs and fall. But by the time we got up to the top, Matt, I was convinced it was going to happen because that's how my mind works. And so we get out to the top and it didn't help that like there was a family in front of us and the dad and the son were also like, okay, we got to go back down. Now. This is like too high, but we get out there. And my wife and my daughter are like, wow, this is amazing. And my son and I are literally pressed to the brick of the lighthouse itself, <laughs> slowly inching our way around the little circle. We're like, we made the fastest loop humanly possible and started our way back down. And my poor wife and daughter are like, this is great. Let's stay out here. And we're just like, we need to get to the bottom now, please. <laughs> like, that's what it's like with me. So, the idea of rock climbing in any way, shape, or form, like I said, a, a step ladder gets me nauseous, and I get that tingly butt sensation. So, yeah, no.
0: Yeah. How about uh, Rocky Mountain Oysters?
1: I've had them. Yep. I don't know if I'd say I love them, but um, a lovely little restaurant out in Colorado called The Fort, um, kind of outside of Denver. Familiar You're nodding your head that. like you know it. Um, You know, I had them there. Me too. Um, it's a lovely space. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. That's where I tried them. It, it, they're like a fatty chicken nugget. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's, that's what it was. Yeah. Like, I, I, I'm not going to, like, say, oh, man, I, my wife and I, when we get to, you know, the, the, I love all the jokes about, and they're so true. And, you know, marriage is just asking each other what's for dinner every day until you die. Like, that, there is some semblance of truth to that. But I've never turned to my wife and said, you know what? I got to hankering for, like, Rocky Mountain oysters. Like, that's not going to happen. But yeah. I've tried them. They're fine.
0: Yeah. That, that's exactly, you know, so, some people... Some people are into what Rex Ryan is into. Some people are not. (laughs) And I'm I'm with you, Mark. So, all right. Wow. How about cage diving with great white sharks?
1: I'd probably try that. I've never done it. Um, You know, swimming, sharks, that stuff. It doesn't really, like, freak me out too much. So, I'd probably try that. It seems pretty cool.
0: I would definitely... Want to try that that's on my bucket list really have to be on my bucket list after alicia passes if she passes before i do because she probably will be like there's two things she's just like you can't have a motorcycle yeah, and and um i think cage diving with great white sharks is probably like going into Going into that with a testosterone-sized thing that's that's two times bigger than Shaq is probably right. not, a, and with, with sharper teeth probably. Though I'm sure, I don't know if Shaq's ever been anybody in the lane, but that's a, Probably not. Probably not, you know? So I would say, yeah, that would be something I'd love to do. I'm hoping that, you know, I was hoping maybe my dad and I would do it at some point because my dad, at, for his 70th birth, was it his 70th? Yeah, his 70th birthday, he skydived. So that was kind of, he's a little bit, he's got an adventurous streak like that. So I was thinking that might be a fun thing to do, but yeah, that kind of wraps it up other than Matthew Ernst. I'm going to tell him to, I see him on Twitter here. He's asking a question that I think I would like to answer quickly to tell him so he can watch this or tell him at the end of my podcast, I've answered it, which is anything in an Antonio Gibson profile as a wide receiver that would help explain JD McKissick's usage and the answer is yes. Antonio Gibson was an athlete. He was a, he was brought in as an athlete, meaning yep. that he was not a refined receiver. He did some things that might help him project to become a refined receiver, but he just caught the ball well and ran a couple of routes well. But the routes he ran were as a slot receiver or an outside receiver, not as a back out of the backfield on a consistent basis. Right. So J.D. McKissick is a fine slot receiver and a fine receiver back out of the backfield who needed a few years to show that he could do that rising from being a kick returner in the preseason Atlanta getting cut and winding up in Seattle and then a couple other spots until he wound up in Washington so give Gibson a little bit of time it's and don't expect because a guy played wide receiver at Memphis or at another school part-time right ran part-time that he's LaDainian Tomlinson he has Ladan- He has great talent as a running back, but he's not Ladainian Tomlinson. And the fantasy people were expecting that, so that's where I wanted to end that.
1: There you go. I love
0: it. All right. Thank you, folks, for listening. You know, get the RSP if you if you buy it. Go do it right now. The waiver wire. Go get the go get the RSP and go check out Mark's works. Goes throws. You can check out his YouTube channel. What is your YouTube channel title, Mark, for people to know?
1: I think it's just Mark Schofield. I don't even know it has a title. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just my name. I don't know. See, we
0: are we are low profile around here.
1: Seriously, low profile around. I mean, here, but high on content. Look, we take the work seriously. We don't take ourselves seriously. That's the that's the point.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, and and I I will say that we do because as Scientific Comedy says on Twitter. Matt Waldman managed to pull off the buck stack. Brady Evans, AB Gronk site rankings, not appreciating the stack, but I broke the metrics. Um, So that's exactly what I'm trying to do. That's what you do because I'm known at football guys as the guy that um, rate my team hates, but somehow that Matt Waldman guy likes it. And somehow you wind up doing well, but sometimes, you know, that happens. Nobody reads you, but sometimes you get all the clicks. So thanks again for listening. You guys have a good day.